How are my levels? Am I even there? Now give me some juice. Hey, baby. Oh, baby. Yeah, baby. We're swallowing the worm tonight, baby. Yeah, baby. Oh, baby. Yeah. What worm? The worm at the bottom of the tequila bottle, baby. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be you, me, a worm, and some shrimp cocktail sauce. (laughs) And I ain't wearing shoes, bitch. (laughs) All right. Uh, Your levels seem probably pretty good. As long as you don't snore, your levels are okay. (laughs) Oops. Okay. Well, that's not going to happen, so... Welcome to Perfectly Accessible Podcast, episode 127. Roundhouse kick to the face. We've done it. And uh, we're every Tuesday. Uh, sorry, the Pacific Northwest <laughs> premiere podcast. Sending you comic opinions. Um, you know, like informing you about the news, the comings and goings of the books, the shop. Fuck, I bungled this one. Uh, where every Tuesday we get a whole bunch of comics. We just sort them, count them, love them. We bring them home because we're just generally really excited about it. Roman and I spend a very sweaty afternoon uh, sorting the books together and filing them all away. And then Justin is downstairs keeping the entire shop safe while it happens. And uh, then we just scurry home to our respective quiet places and read them for uh, the last lately of a couple of days. We get a couple of days to read them, which has been really nice. It's been very nice. Um, and uh, yeah, we uh, then come back to the old Pap Cave where we are nearing the end of our tenure. Just a couple episodes left. And we engage in a variety of tangents, either related to or unrelated to uh, the events uh, in the comics, uh, the, the events of uh, the shop, or uh, the comings and goings of our lives. I'm... Jeff, I'm Jeff, and I'm pretty pumped to have our special guest here. Aw, I'm Colette. It's I'm me, Colette. Colette. I was kidding. No, just, that's, no, he's not here. Fuck that guy. Aw, I miss Barry. No one misses Barry. You're good. Aw. You're the guest. You're the special guest. <gasps> me? Oh, Bring my God. Back. Bring it back. So Spotlight. much. So much stress to have to be special. I know. I, I just know. want to be a guest. Imagine how Justin feels. The specialist. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, it's our first time podcasting together. Gosh, that's true. It's true. Yeah. It's true. My first podcast was the first one after you were gone. Oh. Yeah. That was the, the really sad consolation prize to the two-part <laughs> goodbye No, Justin you episode. don't get the giant stuffed bear, <laughs> but you get this penny whistle and this moon pie. <laughs> Those games are rigged anyway. I'm Justin, and I like Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> and I am kind of a... Hercules boy. Yeah. Oh, that's a very good one. What about you, Colin? Oh, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Classic. Yeah. yeah. Classic. yeah. That makes sense to me. Hey, we got a docket <laughs> filled with stuff here. We got like a, a triumvirate, if I, a, a triumvirate of three if I've ever seen one. 
And we've got a stack of books, and those books are as follows, roughly in this order. Batman 68, Symbiote Spider-Man number one, Web of Venom colon Cult of Carnage period number one, Outer Darkness number six, The Hunter Twins number three, Catwoman number ten. The McElroy brothers and Andre Araujo present The War of the Realms colon Journey into Mystery number one. Fair Lady, number one, and the very spicy Faithless, number one, which is what we're going to close this whole thing out on. Listen, y'all are going to want to stick around for that one because I want to get you out, Randy. Fifty Shades of Faithless. Fifty Shades of Valentine's Red. Ooh. You know what's really surprising is that Justin read X-23 this week. I did. Oh, I read the first three pages, and then my baby woke up when I didn't get to read anymore. Hey, let's hey, let's fuck the system. Well, tell me about X-23, number 11, um, by Jillian Tamaki. Never read X-23. Uh, Brayden mentioned it to me, and I've been feeling pretty, like, hum-bum-dum-dum in, in the books that I read. So I was like, I want to just read a couple things that aren't exactly my flave. Um so I was like, all right, well, I, I, that seems like a too stressful of an expectation to put on myself. Like, I'm just going to completely change the comics I read. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to learn like, to love new things right now. Yeah, so I was like, okay, I'll pick one book that I would never think of reading. Not that, like, I like X-23, but I just, I, yeah. And I read it, and it was pretty charming. There's some fight stuff going on. I kind of picked up on, I think, you know, the dynamic between Honey Badger and X-23 seems to be really cool. And it's adorable. People mm-hmm. feel like they're, they're sisters or, you know, someone in their family. Um, they seem to be really close. And in this issue, I don't know if I'm spoiling things or not because I have absolutely it's no second to last issue of the series. They get in a big fight. Um, oh, no. A big verbal fight, and it feels pretty realistic. And they're kind of trying to address, like, I th- think – what Bra- why Braden pitched it to me is because there's kind of this overarching ethical, like um, apparently a clone got killed or, you know, there are people who kill people all the time and there's almost like this ethical conjury, uh, qu- ethical mm-hmm. moral thing. And as someone who is constantly torturing himself about ethics and morals, um, I think that's why Braden suggested it to me. And I enjoyed that very much. Like, well, are we the good guys here or are we the bad guys here? And I'm always like, am I the bad guy here? Am I a creepy bad guy? Yeah, am I a creepy <laughs> I think I'm a creepy bad am guy. Am I a poisonous weed in Do the I Garden like of Do I like feet too much? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so it was cool. Uh, you know, like Django says, I don't think this book is a book that's written for me. But that was kind of the point. Of me reading it. So I enjoyed it from a perspective that I haven't had before. And I hope to at least every week read a book that I normally would never read. That um, was a great sort of like physical therapy lubricant warm up for the conversation of the podcast here. Yeah. Um, so we'll start. We'll just get into Batman 68. Which I was ready. Okay. Tom King and Amanda Connor. I was a little bit nervous about this one because I'm not. A huge fan of Amanda Connor's art. Oh, I'm not alone. Yeah, okay. I, really I was a little it. afraid to say something. I do not like her work. Yeah, and I don't. I'm not speaking to her writing, but her art itself is just a little bit too cartoony, and I don't know actually what it is about it necessarily. I don't think that her storytelling is bad, but it's just it's not. It doesn't grab me. Yeah, it's like. So for me, like cartooniness, I really like because I think 
you know, it's not trying to portray anything realistically, so you can get into style a bit more. But this feels like, while it's cartoony, to me, completely devoid of, like, personality. Like, you don't get the weird funky lines or the weird inking style that you get from super toony stuff. Like, I feel like it, I don't know, it looks like a Saturday morning cartoon in a bad way, and I make that comparison a lot, but it looks just, like, cookie cutter to me, so... Well, yeah, it's, it's indescript. It just like there's no, I can't describe to you what Amanda Connor's but I can see it, it from a mile away. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's cartoony, but it's not doing the outlandish things that you use the cartoony look to justify yeah. and make comfortable for you. It's not it's not a vehicle for any different sort of visuals and storytelling. It's that's just a perfect way of saying it. A style that's there because it's there. But can I say I love the opening page? Um, that very first. Oh. I fucking love the Fortress of Solitude. Like, I, yeah. I love it. I remember seeing it the very first time when I was a kid in the Superman movie. It's so cool. And I've often thought about, you know, kind of like having a grocery store to yourself for a night. Having the Fortress mm. of Solitude to yourself for a night would be fucking cool. I think anyone who's ever met you knows that the Fortress <laughs> of Solitude is your dream. Yeah. Uh, so the idea of this one is we're still in that nightmares story arc that Batman's in. So every issue is we're focusing on a nightmare scenario of Batman's. Um, but they've also all seemed like true events to me. Mm-hmm. Like the question thing. I mean, metaphorical, but also true. So this one I really did kind of read on the level of it's the bachelor party and bachelorette party of Catwoman and Batman before getting married. And um, Lois Lane and Catwoman go out and they get a little bit tipsy and they get Supergirl to let them into the Fortress of Solitude for the night. And Batman gets the night covered by Nightwing and Superman's got Supergirl looking out for him so that Clark can come over and hang out with Bruce in the mansion. So like Justin came in on Tuesday and I was like, yeah, like I don't really like Amanda Connor's art, but I bet that I'm going to finish this book and be like one of the best issues of the series. And I loved this issue. Like I, I, I really did. I laughed out loud at the awkward Clark and Bruce stuff. Almost every page that it happened, I don't know, it just struck a tone that for me went back to like those pre-wedding issues that I really liked, like when the double date at the fair and that sort of stuff, which it's super not Batman-y in so many ways, but it is a tone that I really do like. And I, I think that the art fit the tone nicely, even though I'm not a huge fan of it. That was my feeling on it. And not everyone <laughs> has to like it because I liked it. Yeah... Uh, yeah. It had moments that I I was amused by. I found it amusing at times. I didn't necessarily like it. I kept getting frustrated with the, oh, girls' bachelor party, bachelorette party. Girls just want to have fun. Yeah. Ha ha. We get drunk sure. when we're together. We like spas. We like wine. Yeah. We like stripper boys. And that did sort of annoy me in the simplistic nature of. And it was so not Selena, who okay. I've loved since I was a small child. So I have that unnecessarily strong feelings of how she should be, even though. Every writer has a right to do whatever do with the character, you think but that this is the nightmare. Yeah, I kept telling myself, okay, it's the dream. It's not supposed to be her. This is, you know, if if he's in a nightmare, 
her being the most, both of those girls being the most stereotypical ditzy. And like the cover whatever. is like, I don't know why she's not picking up dot, dot, dot. So like the, like the, the embodiment of this being exactly what he wouldn't want. Yeah. And I think the fact that Selena, who's supposed to usually be really cold and have such a hard time developing relationships, is making a bestie. And he who thinks that he's capable of of reading people and whatnot is can't, can't connect with the one person that he's supposed to know really well or be peers with. Yeah, I just like the idea that he doesn't have a personality. So yeah. he like the idea of him having a night off is the worst thing in the world for him. I thought mm-hmm. that was what the this nightmare theme is supposed to be, like Bruce having to be Bruce and living a normal life. And then I thought Selena being so toxically normal was the nightmare aspect. Like she, Selena wouldn't be doing these things. You know, he's not in, they call each other cat and bat before they say their names. So I kind of read it as like, this is what, if he was a normal, if Batman wasn't in his life, this would be the worries that he would have kind of, yeah, except we, for not in the Fortress of Solitude. What if a year yeah. into our marriage, she's just hanging out at the house, eating chocolate and drinking wine and watching soap operas? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought like this. So, you know, in Watchmen, Night Owl and Silk Spectre kind of need their costumes to function. Mm-hmm. I, I personally have always read Batman feeling like he needs it. Well, I mean, that's his whole shtick, right? Um, but, like, I felt reading this relationship, them being married, like, they're more in love with who they are when the costume's on than who, you know, there's there's not much reason for Bruce Wayne or Selina Kyle to fall in love. But Batman and Catwoman can be right. in love. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of read this as, like, Bruce, like, as terrible as Batman is for him, like to be a functional person to do what Batman does. It, and I think he says something to that effect. Like it's more terrifying for Bruce to f- pretend to be normal. Like, right. That is the truly, I love the page of like soup's good. Yeah. And like the, like the awkward conversation that naturally comes back to that phrase of like, well, soup's good. Uh, yep. <laughs> I don't know. That was... Yeah. I almost felt like that was not to find a reference where it isn't there. Is it a year but, one reference? No. Is Django going to be very excited? <laughs> the Tim Burton, like... Oh, uh, the soup's cold? Yeah, soup's cold oh, thing. Yeah. Like, it reminded me of that. Um, but, you know. So I think I probably strike between you two. Like, I liked it. I thought it was pretty charming. Um, not my favorite. Um, I r- have really liked all these nightmare issues, but he's doing such unconventional things that f- this felt like a pretty normal thing. Yeah. I don't know. I, I wanted to like it. And maybe part of the problem was that I read it directly after reading Catwoman. So I had... This isn't the Selena Kyle that I just read. Yeah, I'm like, oh, that one made me happy. This is not what I what do we wanted. Th- what do we but... think this giant green nightmare device that he's in is? I'm glad we got to see it. Yeah. I, was, I think it's, you know, like a a thing that restrains him, restrains him and is also pumping him full of fear gas or whatever. Like it's, um, like they mentioned before, that he's hooked up to... Uh, a scarecrow thing. Uh, I'm going to give this one a nine. I loved it. I'll go with six and a half. I might have enjoyed it more if I was more up to date on the series. Hey, also not liking a thing. It's a valid. Oh, on a oh, thing. I am. You will hear me definitely mm. be okay, okay with okay, not liking okay. some stuff further in. This I wanted to like it, and it was good. It just wasn't for me. I think. Seven five, like I thought it was a very good thing. I I got it. It made me laugh. I thought it was charming. It just like Batman has been such a high for me. The past couple issues I felt like have been what biasly what I want from a Batman comic. 
in this is just like, oh, this is also a very good Batman comic. But the past like three issues before that, I've just been like, these are yeah. really close to a perfect Batman comic for me. Well, let's get to where the real gold is. The real <laughs> money. The real yeah. pot of gold at the oh end of the God. rainbow. Isn't that... Symbiote Spider-Man. We've got the Spider-Man hour. The Spider-Man minute. The Spider-Minute. we got two Spider-Man books. Um, <laughs> Symbiote Spider-Man number one by Peter David and Greg Land. Did yeah. you guys both read this? I- I read a lot of stuff because of being on the podcast today that was an uh, interesting use of my time. I like Matuio. I read a ton of comics this week, but I also was very aware of how much like it helped me to be – I read like almost like types of book at a time. I read like Ronin Island and Wonder Twins and like kind of like youthfully optimistic things together. And then I read some like angsty other stuff. Over like there. emotional I kind of did the same thing. Like I read Faithless and Fair Lady. And then I tried to read She Can Fly and realized that I really needed to read the first arc before I read that one. But mm. then like I did both of the Spider-Man ones at the same time. And I did there my, my cat and There was four spider books this week. It's a lot of spiders. Four spiders everywhere. Poor Roman. Poor Roman. Uh, um, Claire, what do you think cool. of this book? What do we? Th- what is? What is the deal with Greg Land's art? What do we think about Greg Land's art? Uh, it's this, good in a steak way. It's good in a steak way. Yeah, I, I feel like it's perfect for this book in that it's there. It was fine. Perfectly accessible, like the podcast. Yeah, it's um, it was a story. It's uh, it's got characters that people like. Mysterio, purple, green, and fishbowl. Yeah, love, love his. I love the costume of Mysterio. I think he looks good. Yeah, he looks good. No better costume out there than the black suited Spider Man. That's my the thing. favorite thing I've ever no, seen. But. Nothing looked bad. Nothing looked weird. Nothing threw me off. But also, nothing made me go, "Ooh, look at that!" And nothing happened that I went, "Oh, hey, that happened." His voice was really weird in this. Like, I can't tell if Peter David just writes Peter like it's still the early '90s or. If he was trying to write Peter the way that he sounds in the early 90s. Yeah. Because he's kind of a jerk in this. Yeah. I. Well, the black suit makes him kind of edgier, right? Yeah. But it's but in the like conversation. In the black suit, too, wasn't yeah. it? Like a sl- yeah. It's been a long time since I read any of that, and I'm not the biggest Peter. And there's scenes where it's not on him, and he's still a little bit weird. Yeah. I. I couldn't but tell also, what was intentional and what was just the writing well being done. kind of blocked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The scene with like Felicia Hardy and Aunt May uh, was really weird. Yeah. Everything with Felicia was kind of weird. Yeah, I agree, Felicia. Because I like Spider-Man and, and Black Cat. That's a that's a thing that I'm a fan of. Uh-huh. It's got that kind of Batman and Catwoman thing where you're like, we shouldn't be doing this, but we are. And, yeah. And Hachimachi. Hachimachi for sure. I, I'm always a fan of the self-serving self-serving villainess. Yeah. The, it's not really a, a crusade or anything. It's just a, I'm me and I'm going to do what I want well, kind of a character. And she was... I love characters like that. Really blah and kind of bitchy and kind of, it felt really night early nineties yeah. to me but in none of the things that bring positive nostalgia to this period in time it was just yeah it was blah there is this fight sequence that is like a full page and 
it is like divided into four horizontal panels through the height of the page and like you just really see the shadows of Spider-Man fighting Mysterio and like Greg Land chooses to zoom in on mannequins or like a skeleton and show the shadows of the fight in the background which is just like a a really weird choice of what you're going to be using. Like, you well, get 22 then, pages to tell your story. That's X amount of images. Each one should mean something. But then, the, okay, so you're trying to do something with this shadow fight sequence, but then when he does actually show something, it's Mysterio's legs sticking out of the pile of boxes yeah. he just got thrown <laughs> into, and then this weird, like, two mirrors kind of sort of reflecting a punch that's awkwardly shaped and not at all... It, it's I, so blah. I liked the double page of like just the World Trade Center just to like mm-hmm. firmly set this in a time. Just yeah. like, okay, this is early 90s, like pre-2000. Uh, so I thought that that was kind of a cool touch to just firmly set it in a time. Yeah, I just feel like it wasn't interesting enough to justify an out-of-timeline story. Yeah, I agree. There, There's no reason that this book should exist outside of the fact that the symbiote is cool and Mysterio is about to be in a movie. Yeah. So what do you give it? Oh, uh, Can I tell you what I'm going to give it? Yeah, go for I'm it. I'm going to give it a five. That's what I was thinking. I'm thinking five, five which is probably the lowest I've ever given a book on this podcast. Yeah, we're working on being real big buttholes on this podcast yeah. now. Yeah, I felt bad as I was reading all my books this week. I'm like, I'm going to sound like a negative person when we're talking about this. Or an authentic I'm... one. Or like an authentic one. Yeah. If it doesn't no, strike I... you, then you yeah. know, that makes bigger books mean hey, more. Let's get over to another – let's slip our way over to another Spider-Man book. Web of Wyndham <laughs> – Oh, Jeff. You Web silly boy. I got frogs in my mouth. Web of Wenham, Cult of – Web of Benham, Cult of Connie. <laughs> by Frank Thierry and Daniel S. Bayreuth. Now, this book sounds like a book that you could just sleep on. It sounds like it could be that. Mm-hmm. But no matter how hard you try to tell some people to read it, they're just sometimes not going to read this, possibly the best <laughs> book of the week. <laughs> That's not true. I'm just, I'm just kind of, I've been trying to just rib Justin about this particular book oh, I've for been some ribbed. reason. Um, I would say, though, that this was much better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I liked the. For someone who could give a flying fuck about Carnage. I love any of this stuff. Carnage. I know. I yeah. know. I'm the. The no. odd man out here who doesn't care about Carnage or Venom or any of that stuff. But uh, it, I liked it better than Symbiote Spider-Man. Yeah, what was sure. – why was this book good? Because I thought it was very good. Because it's like a detective story. It's This is like the sad little brother to the Wolverine Longest Night. It's, it's a crime procedural. It's a detective story. It's – it it's felt, a little blob, but, you know, a good cult. If, Who doesn't like a yeah. good cult? It felt like Silent Hill to me. Like With, dude, with bondage in it. Yeah, dude <laughs> shows up in this city, and it's the city from Maximum Carnage, where, like, Carnage had gone and just, like, ruined the shit out of it, and it's, like, tried to recover. But That's he, cool. he went and did a thing there, and it's J. Jonah Jameson's son, the wolfman, who, like, is also a cop, and he's going to check this all out, and he meets up with this lady cop, and... It's Misty Knight. Oh, it's Misty Knight. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. I don't know Misty Knight very well. The first, like, four pages of this book are just, hey, you probably didn't read 
this story or anything with any of these characters. So here's who everyone is yeah. and what happened. And for some reason, they need Who's to spend like four or five pages. Uh, she's a detective. She was on uh, Heroes for Hire. She's one of the Oh, okay. Characters. I reckon Red sure. Suit. Yeah, and she's yeah got Red the Suit, Bionic arm. arm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Badass, yeah, awesome character. I totally forgot that that she was in this. She's like the, uh, the other main character in this. Uh, it's been so I mean, she's barely The art looks cool for, uh, from here. The yeah. art was not impressive just flipping through it, and then I got into it, and it's actually like professional. Like, it's, it's just, it's very effective. It's, yeah. it's not like flashy, but it's, uh, there's a C word that I can't think of right now, but it's like, it was competent. Yeah, very competent. But it turns out that like, Carnage has basically infected this whole town and they have to, the, like the symbiote, in order for him to be rebuilding the Carnage symbiote, which is all shattered because it's been divided in on a bunch of different people, he has to absorb the spinal fluid of everybody who's worn it. So they're like tearing out the spines of all these people and there's all these bodies that are just husks moving around that are like symbiotes possessing them. And I like... I, I like a spineless body. Yeah. <laughs> There was some, like, genuinely, it climaxed in a very creepy scene that was very reminiscent of the Maximum Carnage event. And I was just, like, really into it the whole time. It was, the whole time, it was just way better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. It, for me, it started out like, okay, I'm reading this. Yeah. We're probably going to talk about it. Okay, this is, I'm I'm not going to put this down. As it went on, I was like, I enjoyed it more and more, which I was incredibly shocked about. And it has a bunch of the characters that were important in Maximum Carnage, like Demi-Gorgon and, or Demo-Goblin, I think actually is his name, like the six-armed Spider-Man. Shriek? Is that who that is? I think that's her name. Yeah, I like a good zombie town kind of a... Yeah. The whole town is against you and you're going to try and solve this mystery, but Mm. no one wants you there, so just leave because you're not going to make it better. Yeah. Yeah, it was surprisingly good and enjoyably creepy and I this is just a one shot interlude in the main story right yeah Venom's been building to this um, absolute carnage event that like the free comic book day is leading into and it's this big Spider-Man event that's going to be happening which is why I think some of the Venom stuff's pace has changed Um, and they've been doing these web of Venom one shots and the one before this one was not written by Donny Cates, and it was not very good. It was the dog. It was the dog. It was actually written by Ryan Stegman. Mm. This one is not written by Donny Cates either, but it was very good. I'm going to give this one an 8.5. Well, I'm going to give it an 8. I'm going to give it a 7. Yeah. Yeah, which is for a book that I almost didn't read, it's a really high mark for what yeah. I would have expected. Hell Yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, this next stop is a is a stop we got to make on Justin's cute chin. Oh, my chin. Yeah, tell me about I it. I don't have that much cute of a chin. chin. Where are we headed? Um. Well, we are headed to back aboard the wreck of the of the Charon is the first location in this book, Outer Darkness, number six. It's the end of the arc. Um. It's been a wild ride, Kitch. It's been real good. It's been a wild ride. And in this one, a lot of seed. There was a removed spinal cord in this one, too. Yeah. I was really getting off to spinal cords this week. He, like, bad guy licks it. Yeah, he, he puts his tongue around a spinal cord. Colette would like that. You should show her. I yeah. 
missed this book when it first came out. And in the last, like, month and a half, I've heard a hundred reasons why. It's one of the best books I coming really out I right really need now. to be reading this. Um, so I'll... I'll be mindful of the well. Let's try no, to no, no, spoil go for it. It's too fine. Much, I mean, like, I think you know, like Ryan Russell might be listening to this, and he's in Alabama right now. We don't want to spoil anything for Ryan Russell. For sure, there are shout the, out Ryan the, Russell. The, yeah, Ryan hey, Russell. Ryan. Hey Ryan, love you, buddy. Um, listen, there are two kind of threads, or at least the two villains that have been established, kind of full villain up in this. We get that monster returning. I thought there was some cool, sophisticated stuff they did with that monster. I think so too. I think that we really got a showcase on their math magic, like sort of it in action with this one, and I really liked that. Alalaster Satalis is very, very cool, and you think he's dead, he's not. But spoilers, um, not. I don't know if they make you think that he's dead, but they make you think that he's fucked up, and he he did get fucked up. But yeah, there's just some really cool redrawing of lines. Um, Things aren't going to be great in the next arc for our captain. It was just really, really good. I'm trying not to spoil some of the the harder hardcore spoils. Um, That's good of you. So in the write up at the end of this, I was as I've been reading this, I've been sort of worrying like how long is this book going to be? And I because I've heard that John Layman's coming back to do some more chew stuff. I was pretty prepared for this book to maybe just be like ten issues and not keep going. I was and, worried. And it sounds like there's. At least another volume, mm-hmm. and that's sort of like we're at the halfway point of their first season. I really hope it keeps coming out because this is like in good syndicated television shows like Stargate or Buffy or X Files. Like it's just more like Stargate or Battlestar or something. But like you've got people on a ship, and the overall circumstances of why they're there are interesting. But there's so much interesting shit about the characters that we don't know that we just kind of are just taking, like, these weird detours into loving all of them and therefore everything more and more. I think that, Colette, you would really dig it in the television that you like as well. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm super down. Yeah, it's I, dark magic meets it's, it's Star Trek. It's fucked up, too. Yeah, it's really fucked it's up. Like it's like it's got a over. dirty fucked up in it. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, they it's it's more sophisticated than it looks despite its art. Um it's been one of my favorite books coming out. Um and this this last arc made me this this end of this arc made me really like I hope it it feels like it could be one of those big long books that stays good for 20 or 30 issues. Like there's so many ways it can go. It's um, just got to live that long and we've just got to get people reading it. So like Truly, everyone should check this book out. It's it's so good. Get the paperback when it comes out. Get it monthly because I wouldn't be surprised if this book was canceled. Also, for sure that I this like I was kept ha- having to remind myself that this wasn't the end. Like no, there you know um, he even introduces. That's how I feel every time I see you, Justin. Oh no, I always have to tell myself that he's not leaving. Baby, I'm here. I'm here. Um, I did read that he was like, yeah, and I'm gonna introduce some characters in the next arc. That aren't total assholes. Like, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's a bag of shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, even like the nice guys are bags of shit. Like, I like the captain, but I think he's kind of a bag of shit. Um, yeah, his his like bigger mentor fellow is not a bag of shit, right? No, he seems pretty ni- like normal, down to earth. They do when Satalis gets all fucked up. They say, I just uh, I gotta chime this in. They call him a Goatian, which is like in the real world, Goetic demons are Goatia is like. 
in demonology an actual thing, and it's from like eight really ancient Greece, archaic Greece. Goetia was a religion that the state then um, had problems with and made demons. Um, started calling them devil worshippers, essentially. That's where we get the word demon from, um, is the Greek daimones. But good research. It was cool. They put like a real like demonology demon in there. Like, oh, like Goetians. Like, uh, that was really, really cool. So I think this guy has like studied a lot of religion because a lot of it is weirdly Mormon too um, and Christian and stuff. So he's doing a really cool job of like having research but not hitting you over the head like look at all the stuff I know, which I, I think is cool. Um, and it feels pretty tuny and great. And so I give this a niner. I also Oot. give it a niner. And the art a niner, can't niner, niner. speak highly enough about it. I kind of went off about it last week. Or last month with the last issue, but um, it is amazing, and the perspective is amazing, and he does internal environments so well, and this was very good, just a fraction underneath, I think, the art of the last one, but uh, some of the most unique art in comics. Let's, Colette, tell us about this one. Ooh. Catwoman. 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 Is this... Number 10. Is Joelle Jones still doing the art in this, or is she just writing it right now? No, she's just writing it right now. Um, It's... Who's doing the art? Uh, Fernando Blanco is doing the art. Fernando. Uh, Which I was super excited, thinking that Jones would be back on the art for this one, since she did the two-issue hiatus... Um, when it was very clearly a little interlude story. Um, but I liked this. I, I It looked enough like the characters fit the arc that's been set up with Jones, and it didn't have that like, whoa, this is jarring, this is super different, but it's um, – I'm, I'm – Getting off track. Uh, brain. So what's been Here going on so. in this book? I haven't read it since the beginning, but I remember the really old, creepy lady who's disguising herself as a young hot thing. Yeah, the mayor's wife who's all jacked up. This one doesn't really delve. There's a little kind of dabbing of those characters brought into this. Like that, the like, dance move or the drug usage? Uh, Like a, a bad term to say that they show up for two pages to oh. remind you that they still <laughs> exist like in this in. world. Story. But this is a caper story. This is setting up um, a, uh, a heist that's gone wrong. And uh, it starts off when it's bad. it's gone bad. And Selena's chasing after her her friend who's stuck in an armored vehicle that he's not supposed to be in because they were trying to nab a, a relic. And uh, and then it jumps back to the backstory of how they got there. And, um, you know, I love a heist. She loves a heist. <laughs> I love a good What's heist What's your favorite story. Ocean's movie? Uh, oh, probably the first one. Yeah. I really like that movie. It's yeah. a guilty pleasure of mine. Mm. A deep guilty pleasure. Pleasure. I tend to like Like the... Like a deep uh, pleasure from getting into the Fortress of Solitude and bathing naked in a rainbow room like in Batman. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it's a good heist story, which I love. And uh, and more than anything, I... It seems pretty simplistic. Like, okay, it's setting up a heist. We're meeting the characters. But there were a lot of details in this issue that I really appreciated. Like, Like, Selena... One of my biggest pet peeves when I'm reading books is when people are supposed to look fancy or stylish or rich and they just look like caricatures or like what was perceived as popular and cool 15 years ago. Show me an instance where they nailed it in here. Uh, Well, just her 
her laid back look, and then like she's carrying a Birkin bag, okay, which is like like right here. This this outfit is just so relaxed, cool, and a Birkin is like the ultimate expensive cool bag. It's a company. Uh, Hermes makes it. Um, so Selena actually has style, like her yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jones like designed the wedding gown. Like mm-hmm. she's clearly she actually knows what clothing. she's doing, and this. Even this story, even though it's not drawn by her, is still carrying that that smoothness and that sleekness that I really have been appreciating about this whole run. That it's have not you enjoyed just, this run as a whole? Yeah, I'm really liking this book. I um, I really liked the beginning. I was just loving her characterization in the main book, and Joelle Jones had done a lot of work pretty internally with Tom King right before doing mm-hmm. this one for a while, so it seemed to be pretty consistent. Yeah, I. I go back and forth with actually reading things with Catwoman in them because I love her so much, but often I feel like she's kind of superficial or more the idea of what's in concept of being sleek and cool and fashionable and, and a hard woman with a soft heart. But, and, but, but this think... is actually – she's got the depth without being forcefully too cold or too caring. She The last issue, she – put together a whole huge heist just to help out her her friend who lives in the same building as her. And, and her characterization is historically kind of all over the place, mm-hmm. which I can imagine if you're a big Catwoman fan is like super frustrating because you latch on to a... I mean, like for me, that's my problem with Fantastic Four. Like I latch on so heavily to this particular run and their voices and then other people don't write them that way. And I'm like, fuck, I want... Catwoman is very like that because I think to some people she's just this tertiary character Mm -hmm. and then to other writers she's like an integral character so your comprehension of it as a writer I think differs pretty drastically between runs. Yeah and it's she's a great character to see a male writer's ability to write a good female character Mm -hmm. that's not just a concept but is actually a character. How'd you feel about Frank Miller's Catwoman like in year one? Uh, you know, it's been so long that yeah, I since I've read it. He's kind I of don't... a misogy- misogynist ding-dong, so I would... But sometimes I like the misogynist writing of women because they tend to have a little more edge. Yeah, for than, sure. Uh, their their motivations or some of their actions are questionable, but I can I can relate, but not in the way that they intended. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes sense, but... Like from a masculine, um, a real masculine person writing a feminine character makes them kind of like harder and a little more edgy and badass. They can either, yeah, they can go way too like, I'm a woman, so I'm so delicate and I'm, yeah. oh, my heart's going to break every moment. Or they guy. can be, they can be harsher, they can have a little bit more of a, a sharp edge, which is, can be a little more real because we all have more facets to us. In and the Colette and, is... A woman with a very gruff man inside of her. And it's I, true. A man with a very dainty woman inside <laughs> me, which is why I'm like, the girls went out drinking at the Fortress of Solitude. I loved it. You know? Um, yeah. But we both do like a, a sort of, like, I, you know, I like the the story about who's going to who with prom, like that uh-huh. sort of shit. But I also, you know, yeah. So I, Colette's yeah. heart has a mustache in it. Like yeah, a absolutely. And a fucking, cigar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it was probably like, the first week I was working here that it was established that between the two of us, there was a man and a woman, but, but you had to mix a lot of parts. strangely yeah. divided. Yeah. 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 I just, Selena, when I was a little girl, if I could have been anyone, it would have been Selena Kyle. She was my 
desperate dream was she's well, a writer i trumped yeah. you on that one <laughs> because i had the catwoman birthday party I know, and so the catwoman costume i think and that's the best town all over, oh, so i love it so much i also had that which is so fucking weird to try and remember but <laughs> apparently it was a thing so cute. what do you give it uh, I'm glad to hear that this run has stayed good. I'm so glad that you brought this to the table. Yeah, I was a little nervous when the first arc ended. I was like, oh, please keep going right. well because it can drop off so fast. And her and, art is, is so gorgeous when so she's doing it. Pretty, uh, but this was great. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it. An- a nine. Whoa. Niner. Yeah. Niner. Niner. Niner for filling art. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it it's a lot of setup in this issue. So it's, it's a, I have a hard time giving a, a first issue of an arc a nine because it's so much just leading. But there was so much detail. Like when they go to the art forgers and there's all these famous works of art on the wall, but not the ones that everybody knows. <laughs> so let's trans let's transition to the Wonder Twins because that makes sense to me. Um, Mark Russell and Stephen Byrne, Steve Byrne, Byrne, Stephen Byrne. Now I loved this issue, and I just want to tell everybody. I just want to give everybody a little bit of a thing. This is a, a message that after reading this issue at uh, like twelve thirty at night, I texted Roman. So let's just get a little Roman and Jeff interaction. Jeff. Wonder Twins 3, a 10. Damn. I don't know if I still feel that way. And he said, poor little Gleek. First time I've ever cared about that blue little weirdo. And then I said, dude, anytime you want to end an issue with a page-long monologue about the importance of giving a shit about one another, I'm in. Very, very in. That one really got me this week. That book was exactly what I wanted to be reading the whole time. I loved this book, but it's also... Justin, you just read it today, and it's been several days since I read it. Can, Can you refresh me? Um, so, Jaina is... Yeah, and so I've, Zan. Zan. So I missed issue two. Um, which is where they introduced the, for, like, the Legion of Annoyance. Yeah, Legion of this, Annoyance. Like, basically where they, a training camp for people to join the Legion of Doom. Um, and I like those characters because I love reject characters. But we have Jaina still dealing with her insecurities. Um, she meets Polymath. Which I feel like, well, it's like kind of a minor thing in this one, but I, I think it will like play into a larger thing. Also, there seemed to be like almost maybe a burgeoning romance between those two. I know. Um, then we, oh god, I get to actually say it. back at the Hall of Justice. Oh, it felt so good. Um, yeah, Jaina and Zan are being kind of insecure. Well, Zan is kind of a he's a ding dong, but he's just always immersed in his environment. I really like that. Jana is the think person and kind of always driving herself crazy. It seems. Um, so she asks Superman about how he does it. And Superman drops that kind of wisdom that, that only great Superman quote from Mark Russell. Yeah. I, uh, I hate when Superman's people call Superman dumb cause, uh, he's wise and wise and intelligent are, aren't always the same thing. And, one sometimes wise is more important. Um, so I we had Justin and I had a person today that just wanted to hate DC Comics yeah. so much. He was yeah, talking about artists that he liked. He was going for very obscure. Artists. I was like, oh yeah, and I was talking about this other artist. He's like, well, point out some of his stuff. I was like, well, he's done some DC stuff. He's like, oh, if he's done DC stuff, then I just have a blind eye to it. I was just like, DC's got some very like good comics that have come out in the past. And he's like, yeah, if it's DC, I'm just not going to pay attention. I was oh, that like, makes me so sad. I know. I to was... block yourself off from the potential of like, 
Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm not even gonna like try and sell it to you like on this company because like clearly you're very into not liking this thing, and for sure, unfortunately, that's how life is sometimes. So, so anyway, that was me getting that my most annoying part of the day off my chest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this sometimes book, you just gotta take it on the chin. Yeah, sometimes you do. And but I, Superman had a great Superman moment in this. Yeah, and Superman's wise, and I love him, and I I think I love him as much as Batman, if not more, which I never thought I'd say that. Um, Embarrassment League or. Pestly, the goofy villain guys. Annoyance, League of Annoyance. Yeah. Legion of Annoyance. Do some <laughs> annoying stuff. Uh, Wonder Twins bash them real good. But the main part for me was... The monkey stuff, right? I love the monkey stuff okay. for the sure. There's Yeah, the Wonder Twins have a monkey and they, oh, there's man, a, some animal cruelty this. PTSD stuff in it. But what was yeah. the main oh. stuff to you? Uh, the animal cruelty PTSD. And then just like... I really, really like the dynamic between Zan and Jaina. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, Jaina's like, like the Jeff and Justin, like very th- neurotic and thinky. And then you always like they make Zan seem kind of dumb, but he's like really happy, and he gets those wise moments. Like insight comes from him, and I love that dynamic of like, oh, he's the dumb guy, but he he says really true things, and she's a really smart one, but she's always worried Can't and inhibited. Find truth. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, ultimately, she learns the lesson about kindness um, from him who you wouldn't, you know, he's kind of heart and she's head. And I I really, really, really enjoyed that. Um, this reminded me of the Mark Russell that he normally, I felt like this book has lacked. It, well, the first issue just didn't have a direction to me. And then I yeah. loved two and I loved three even more than two. So I think it really found his, his footing in it. This is the most Flintstones feeling book he's done to me. For sure. It read like a goofy Kurt Vonnegut writes the super friends like Kurt Vonnegut is very like always comes back to kind of a meditation on kindness and, and taking one on the chin. Um, and while also framing absurd moments and that's exactly what this was. Um, uh, yeah. So, so good. Just, I want to like end the monologue that she learns that she's got, she gives a speech at the end and says, finally, I'd like to leave you with some personal thoughts. It's easy to imagine that the world is divided into good and evil. But those concepts are often complicated and not easily defined. The true moral struggle isn't between good and evil. It's between pettiness and generosity. So when the world seems too complex and horrifying to know what to do, err on the side of generosity. For in the end, it's the greatest power we have. No one who brings love into the world is ever truly alone. As a wise man once taught me, you save the world one act of kindness at a time. And, like, that, like, the day that I read this, it just, like, capped off my day so perfectly. And it just, like, kind of put moments of my day into perspective. And it, I just, I don't know, that type of really positive message. I'm also a real sucker for that. So that just, it made the whole issue uh, a 10 to me. So I'm going to say this one was a 10 because it made me feel an extreme amount this week. And, uh... Even though I couldn't remember what happened in the first third of it, it all it all wrapped up, and the monkey stuff was great. Yeah, I really like like that theme. It's not just like okay, let's shoehorn a nice guy moment at the end here to make everyone feel good. Like those themes were shown throughout the issue. Yeah, the whole and, thing was a journey towards that. Yeah, it wasn't just like because anyone can put in a nice thing at the end and make you feel good. Like it's showing it in action that's like really powerful and shows Mark Russell is a fucking like really nice dude and yeah it's coming from a good place in a book I give this one also a 9 hey guys it's Jeff sorry to interrupt that <laughs> all those 
Those kids sure know how to have a good time. <laughs> um, but I want to give you a little programming note. Uh, I am here at the house recording this in bad audio just to tell you that I think that next week we're probably not going to have a normal episode. Uh, I'm going to be out of town on a company-mandated company vacation. And uh, by that I mean I'm going to a science fiction convention that I do every year for Easter. And we we've asked Django to stay away for just a couple extra days. The the kid needs to, you know, he's got to eat a little bit more food down in New Orleans. He's got to, you know, check out a couple more shows. He's got to make sure that uh, the, the Earth's rotating in its proper proper sphere uh, alignment. And, you know, he he's doing that here, but we also need to cover the bases on the east side of the country. It's a whole thing. Either way, we've asked him to, to stay there for a little bit longer. Uh, so I'm going to try to get something up. Um, but it'll probably be maybe just a quick rundown of the books that one or two of us read, and it'll probably not be very long, but I don't want you to go totally without for a week, and I've got my cats running around me, so that's very good. Um, but yeah, so look for something next week. We might get a normal one up if we, if we were to be a couple days late, but more, more likely than not, uh, it'll just be a, a quick one. And then we will be back the following week with uh, episode 128. So sorry to leave you all in the lurch for a minute, but uh, just consider it an Easter break or something. You know, uh, consider it the three days that we're spending behind the stone before we rise from the dead uh, as well. That's a little biblical reference for you. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time and get back to the normal show. Bye. Um, War of the Realms, Journey to Mystery, written by Clint, Justin, Travis, and Griffin McElroy, with art by Andre Lima Araujo. Um, Who? Andre Lima Araujo. No, before that. The McElroys, Clint, the father, Justin, the oldest brother, Travis, your middlest brother, and Griffin, your sweet baby brother. Um, this hmm. one's tough for me to talk about. Um, not that it's actually tough, but uh, probably you can just hear it in the way that I disgustingly talk. I My favorite people in the world are the McElroys and their podcast, My Brother, My Brother and Me, and The Adventure Zone. And here's some free advertising for them. Everyone in the world should listen to them. I think they're like a Wonder Twins issue anima every week. But they wrote this issue. They released The Adventure Zone graphic novel that set a whole like bunch of records. It's the first graphic novel to ever be a num- New York Times number one bestseller. They have a, a big following now, and, and I love them. Based on the success of that graphic novel, Marvel approached them to write this. Their dad has written comic books in the past. He has a YouTube video blog where he reviews comics. He is a huge comics fan, so I think that they agreed to do this so that their dad could largely write a Marvel comic book, which has always been a dream of his. So they did that, and I liked it very much for that reason. I love it. Travis, the middleist, his like favorite character his whole life has been Wonder Man because it's a dumb character even when he was a little kid. So that's why Wonder Man is in this. Some of the characters just sound like Clint. Um, you can hear Justin in here. If This means nothing. If you don't listen to the McElroy podcast, I'm just saying names at you. And Andre Araujo's art, he did that Silver Surfer annual like eight months ago that we gushed about. He's an artist of ours that is one of our favorites, but... I can't say anything about this in an objective way because I am 
I liked it very much, but I am incredibly excited to read these boys, and it makes me feel very weird to have them writing a Marvel comic book because I I can't talk to people genuinely about it. So, Colette, can you take the wheel? <laughs> uh, sure. I I was as you were talking, I was sitting here trying to uh, gather my thoughts on this. I read it earlier today, and. As I was reading it, I really enjoyed myself. I kept thinking like, oh, this is nice. Oh, this is fun. And now that I'm thinking back on it, the, the things that are sticking out in my head are stuff that was like, eh, that could have been a little better. Or, oh, this could have been a little. Some, I'm trying to reconcile the bits that I'm remembering with the feelings that I had while I was actually reading it. Um, so that's a really bad taking of the wheel, but uh, it's like it, th- there's something going on within the War of the Realms where Thor has a, a sister, and yeah. there's a funny moment where like you know, f- like, and it's not Angela's sister; it's a baby sister. Yeah, it's a it's and, a baby, and at a castle in Oklahoma. When is this referencing from? Because this is none of the yeah. So I can't remember if there's still Asgard stuff going on in Oklahoma. But that's been around for forever, yeah, like for the right. past 10 or 15 years. Right. But I don't know if they're gone from there because Asgard is back in Asgard now. No, they're in New York now. Oh, are they? Yeah, they're in – Asgard was – I haven't dis- been reading it since Jane left. Yeah, Asgardia was destroyed at okay. the end of Jane's run and they're living in a brownstone in uh, Brooklyn right now. Okay. Um, all the refugees are, are hanging out there except for uh, – Odin, who's back on old Asgard, um, being a just a dick as always, and he's such a jerk. Um, yeah, so that was like I'm, I felt like I was missing something a lot of the time through this because so many characters are ones that are from way back story arcs or are tertiary characters from smaller series. This is all like C level characters, and the kind of the joke is that. Um, who, what's that guy's name? I forget his name. The main guy, um, Thor's uh, brother or... Uh, Baldur? Baldur. Yeah. Yeah, like, he's been dead for a long time and he comes back and he's tasked with taking this baby that is Freya. Uh-huh. Freya's child. And not many people know about it, but he secretly has to transport it. And they sort of tell him that you're going to go with this team of superheroes, but they're actually... And they're all heroes that he remembers, from when he was alive, but in the last, like, ten years that he's been dead, they all have had, like, new characters. So there's, like, Miles Morales or, you know, Kate Bishop is Hawkeye or Deathlock. It's kind is of a cool robot. framing device to put those yeah. characters in. And or, each, like, Wonder Man. It's, it's, each character that's introduced, it was kind of like like the young Deathlock. It was kind of like you were kind of with him in the, like, wait, this doesn't seem right. Who is this, whatnot? But by the time that it established, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, like, I was confused, but now I'm not, and here we go. They're added to the team. Cool. Let's find out the next person that, wait, who's this wizard guy? Oh, okay. Cool. What I'll say is that this is the McElroys needing to be beholden to Marvel continuity. So it doesn't mm-hmm. sound exactly like the Marvel. It doesn't sound like the McElroys. It's them writing these characters that have personalities. So if you're here just for the McElroys, it might not totally sell you. That being said, it's like guest writers being hired to write your favorite uh, your favorite universe. So if you're here because you love Marvel, it's also not going to sound exactly like these people that you love. So I think this is kind of a hard sell. For an event tie-in, though, this is a lot better of a story than a lot of times you're getting with a tie-in. Yeah. This is... 
fresher and more interesting and worth reading on its own than a lot of the, hey, you're enjoying that big event that we've been trying to sell you on for forever. Now you will really want to read all this tertiary stuff that's going to kind of fit in. And like they they do this better standalone. This shot of like you're going to get the brave archer and like the sorcerer supreme, and it shows all these people, and then like none of them really become like they're going to get. The man of wonders who became a pacifist like seven years ago who won't do violence. So it's like all these just like ballers like I'm gonna go find these people and he's like oh none of you exist so I've got this. So it seems fresh like the McElroys are bringing something that like someone who's worked at Marvel for even a couple years wouldn't do. You yeah. know like mm-hmm. yeah. And there's um, Thory. That, and everything huge, is better with Thory. I know that's what I was last week when we were talking about War of the Realms. I was on a real Thory high. So. I think it's kind of a hard sell. I do think it's well done. Um, Jeff just wants to give it a 10 because that, I would actually give it an 8. I think that, you know, it's not quite great Marvel and it's not quite great McElroy's. The art's wonderful, but it's even a little bit quicker Araujo than than like uh, that Silver Surfer one. But he's getting five issues out, which is awesome. But uh, I, that's the best I can do. It's my, literally my my on my days off, I will listen to like five hours of McElroy podcasts. It's it's gross. I, they're my favorite thing in the world. So, well, I've never heard a moment of them, yeah, ever, and I think I would give this an eight. Okay, I I'm excited to read more, which is saying a lot. Tell me about Fair Lady Number One, please. Get me out of thinking about the McElroy before hey, I got to choke this thing down. We got a new image book called Fair Lady, and it was fun. It's uh in the Letter in the back, it's described as Magnum P.I. in a post-War of the Rings world, which I thought was a – I was like, oh, that's what I just read. And this is – I really like how this was presented. It's a single case. So we've got this this female private eye, basically. She – apparently during this world or this war that we aren't seeing – the four, it was all men who fought, and the former soldiers, a lot of them have become private investigators or um, mercenaries or whatnot. And, uh, and this woman was uh, posed as a man to be able to fight in the war. Now she's the one fair lady as opposed to fair men, which is what the, the normal guys are. And uh, For me, and page four was like why I still have this in my house to read. There's a – there's like a giant – Collapsed giant robot yeah. that is deteriorated, and, it's a, city. and a, a city has been built up in the shadow of it. And I was like, "That is an amazing page." Mm-hmm. And a, and you find out later in that that's how it was before the war. So oh. then it's like, "Oh man, okay, I won't really want to know what kind of world leads to this massive war being fought somewhere where there's already a city built inside of a fallen giant robot man creature thing." And and I don't know if you guys know this, but I do, I love a good heist. I love a good detective she story. She loves a good heist. What's your favorite And this oceans? is kind of a nice big mix of the two. You know, I think maybe number you one. Two? You like a two? You're an Ocean's 12 kind of lady, aren't you? Yeah. That's my You know, I, I really liked the, uh, what's the one with the chicks? Um, oh, Ocean's 8. <laughs> is that one out? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it's fine. I'm sleeping on the oceans. And the there was fashion. I like the fashion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, this was fun. I don't love high fantasy. But this didn't really feel as much like you were reading a fantasy I book I haven't read to it me. yet, so I'm, okay. I'm just looking like, what is that, where where am I going to be? It's a lot like Green Valley. 
Does this seem a lot like a high fantasy fantasy story? No, this is much more a private eye in a world that we don't know. Okay. There's there's definitely like there's this big guy who looks like a cat, but you better not call him a feline because that's a derogatory term apparently Aww. and he, someone gets punched for it. And uh, there's these fish looking guys. I, Who's my protagonist? Who am I hanging out with? Who am I going to overly identify with in this? You are hanging out with two people whose names I don't remember, but it's the fair lady, uh, it's and, the the fair w- lady and the cat guy. Um, and uh, she's she's the private eye and he's her, her helper. And yeah, there's this, she goes and investigates a house and there's this nice layout with a listing of all the clues she's finding. And it's definitely a detective or private eye story set in a fantasy world, which I... I like when you've got a world that you're just kind of learning about as you follow a story that's within it and not so much the, this story is to present to you all the research and thought that I put into creating this great big world. and That's where Justin and I get real hard sometimes. Like this is... This is much smaller and more personal than, say, like um, like the realm, where you're definitely on a small journey, but through a great big world, and you feel that you're. It's more of like a Lord of the Rings kind of a seeing the different sides of the world with these different you're characters. The this that, is much I, I smaller. Know reading the realm also, which I want to hear about that book next time an issue of that comes out. You should tell us I, about it. I would be happy to talk about it because it's a lot of fun and it's pretty. This was fun. I I will. It's not top of my list, but I will probably be picking you, up the next one. What do you give it? I think I'm going with a seven and a half on this guy. So We're about to dim the lights, <laughs> pour some extra wine, get the candle lights going on. It's about to get really NC sexantine in here. Um, Boom Studios Faithless Number 1 by Brian Azarello and Maria Lovett. Very adult, plenty of nudity book by the same person who brought you Batman's penis in a prestige format black label book. Brian Azzarello is bringing you a book and the first two pages are a girl masturbating. And the artist is from... Which I appreciated that if you're going to do that. that Yeah. 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 This is a book by Boom that is their most adult book I feel like they've put out. And it was very sexy, but it was intentionally sexy. It wasn't like, oh, that was serendipitously sexy. It was like this guy is trying to write a book that has got nudity and sex stuff in it to be sexy. And I kind of, part of me was like, okay, this is, this is supposed to make you feel on edge and intense. It's supposed to be sexy and pushing boundaries and making it edgy. And I kind of appreciate that it was at least there to start and finish because it would have. <laughs> finish. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not at the beginning it didn't. Nope. But it did at the end. Sure did. Uh, oh. <laughs> okay, so the thing about her finishing at the end is one of my favorite page reveals ever. And I don't want to spoil it on here because there is a really awesome final page yeah awesome disturbing weird the weirdest mix of almost (laughs) having an erection and then feeling totally repulsed within one page so well done yeah i i think this book definitely needed the salacious sex at the beginning and the end because otherwise it would have felt really flat yeah um 
So it gave it a little bit more interest than... And I didn't necessarily dislike the story that was in it. It wasn't... The art's cool, though. Yeah, the art's really cool. It's kind of Brandon Grammy while not being Brandon Grammy, but, like, it's... The colors are pastel-y, and the line work is really messy, and it it isn't super detailed, but it's very uh, lived in. The The environments are, mm-hmm. are well-constructed. I felt, though, like I've seen, either I the like art— I have seen it before. There needed to be more, more panels to create more story going on or some more dialogue mixed in because it felt— Nothing was bringing emotion, even though I really liked the art. I wanted it to be, and the the characters and stories seemed more interesting to me than some of the stuff I've read. But nothing was moving or gripping about it. It lacked romance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, Justin's. A thing that I like about it is I'm moving my hands a lot. No, I (laughs) I like chaos magic and magical theory, but I also Mm -hmm. I think that most of the time that a story does it, they do like a really strong sense of rules or a really strict idea of what magic is. And this one is very clearly like she's masturbating to try and do a spell and she's not able to do it. And somebody's asking her about her magic and she's like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I'm not an expert. I'm trying, like maybe I'm just trying to like sort of alter the probability of a thing. Like it didn't feel like he thought that in order to include magic there needed to be a th- like a really firm theoretical under- theoretical understanding of the magic mm-hmm. it was like I she's don't just think playing that... around with it and that's okay and right because i don't think a lot of like 22 year olds are masters of it so it uh now, i like she... that was she masturbating to try and cast a spell in the beginning or was it just because it's a tuesday morning because that's what it looked there's like there's also to me. that for <laughs> sure um I, I, I'm just wondering if I missed something. A couple pages later, she's talking about a spell that she was doing, and she's working on a spell. Okay. Um, and I got the impression that when she came up, there was she felt like she was sort of failing at it. Mm-hmm. Um, when somebody was like asking her about, she, like she didn't go too far into it, but there was this sort of little bit of I don't know. It, it felt like she didn't necessarily feel like things were super working, uh-huh. and I guess I tied that to like the failed orgasm at the beginning. But uh, no, I like I, I could get down with that. But also, some you know, either way. But I, I don't know. I liked I liked that. I and mm-hmm. I liked the art, and I liked uh, the really horrific thing at the end that mm-hmm. I think was well paced and was like still gives me oogly <laughs> feelings about. Yeah, I. As much as I feel like maybe I shouldn't have thought so highly of this book, I actually I'm with all you. the components are there. It's not all gelling the way I want it to, but it's uh, it's interesting. But I I and, liked it more than I thought I was going to, and yeah. more than I want to like an Azarello book. And there are moments of it that have lasted with me, and I yeah, it kept reminding me of. Um, Oh, I should probably remember the name of the book that I'm going to try and reference. But there was a Black Mask book like a year or so ago with like this girl that ends up at a... Was it Grave Transit? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. There's no one here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Isn't that the same artist? That's where I feel like I recognize the artist. Maybe it is. Yeah, this whole book... That's what I was trying to bring up. Reminded me of that, but better. 
It, yeah. That had more intensity and emotion to it, but this is actually much more interesting of a story. And it's got Paul Pope cover, covers, and they're doing these, like, super erotic porn covers by really good artists. So, like, Tula Lote did one, who is, like, this amazing woman painterly artist that I was, like, if you're going to give me porn covers by <laughs> respectable artists that are, like, artistic, I'm going to buy those. It's like if Boundless got really high-quality right, artists to right. come and do their covers. Right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I I really liked the the twists that happened in this book. And my complaints going through it were then sort of remedied by what happened at the end. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I liked this. I would give it uh, a seven. I, I liked it more than I thought I was going to, and I'll read the next issue. And I like a thing that feels like I'm still like a 12-year-old kid who is looking for things that feels like he has to hide from his parents, and this mm-hmm. is very much that. Yeah, yeah, I, I've just switched to now it's stuff that I have to hide from my kid. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I would say ditto on all of that. I, I'd say a seven, and I'm surprised that I, I want to keep reading it, and not just because there's boobies and masturbating. Right, I know, yeah. because I like both of those things in a book. Yeah, I do enjoy but the some final titties page, and some ass. Just like me living in that panel. I know it I have so many questions about what's going so on. So gross about that moment. Uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah. You, uh, uh, I would I would recommend checking this out if you like being ooked out and almost a little bit turned on at the same time. Um oh before we go, we've got a voicemail. We got a voicemail, everybody. <gasps> hey, we got hey, a so voicemail. You us. Everybody could call and leave a voicemail. Our number is 1-619-663-7336. Thank you so much, uh, wonderful subscriber and customer and listener of the show, Nathaniel Butcher. <laughs> get ready, everybody. We're about to get hot and heavy in here, loud and rowdy. Hey, Django and other esteemed men and... Colette, probably. Uh, This is Nathan, and I was wondering if you guys would be up to the challenge of finding uh, music that would work with one or two of your favorite books each week. I find this one of the most challenging things when I sit down to read, and I really like having that connection, both audio and visual, when I read along to make sure I'm in the actual genre of the book because we all switch genres so much. Um, yeah. So if you have anything good that you could fit with the books of the week or even if you just have something that you think works in any one genre that you could listen to, like anytime you read X-Men or anytime you read something necromancery or whatever, uh, let us know on the podcast because i think that would be really fun to listen to anyway hope you all have a great time next time you record that is a question that i super super love um thanks so much for calling in anytime anybody has a question at all i love that i've got an answer that i'll go for while you guys think about this because i kind of have a go-to um I don't listen to a huge amount of music at this point right now that has vocals in it. I listen to a lot of like jazz or instrumental like electronic music or just like instrumental rock music. So for me, reading with lyrics is even harder because like my brain gets divided. I'm kind of ADHD as it is proudly. And um, so for me, the band that I will almost always put on if I'm listening to music while I read comics is a band called L1011. 
and they are just it's a drummer and a guy who plays with a double neck bass and guitar and he loops a whole bunch of stuff but um instrumental music can be very like emotionally evocative and their emotionally evocative music can be interpreted in a lot of different ways to me so if i'm reading comic books their music can seem like sweet and slow and emotional and melodic but it can also at other times the same song with a different book could feel sort of action-packed and very of the scene so l1011 i would highly recommend putting that on and then after that finishes an album like spotify for me will just start playing l1011 radio and that is always pretty good for my comic book reading because there's a lot of motion to it and i think that's one important thing is like things that have a fair amount of like forward motion even if they're slow and beautiful which is a lot of the stuff that i like but i could talk about music forever but that's that's my big one l1011 el space 10 space 11 what about you justin what would you listen to man i don't really listen to anything when i read because i am also super add um but what happened like when i listen to music i often get it's a pretty like visual experience for me i get a lot of spontaneous visuals um and so a lot of times i kind of think in panels while i listen to music so it's kind of a inverse of your question so what comics do i think of when i listen to music um and there's a band called wild beasts that i've long loved and it is very all of their songs are pretty informed about infidelity and kind of pleasure pleasure pain complexes so the line between the two and it's kind of like eroticized drama but he gets into this very awesome stage where like sex and cheating on each other all the songs are weirdly about it but it often comes back to trust in relationship and how you interact with people um and i find myself kind of like seeing scenarios that are like mad men or some kind of like really saucy tv drama that would be told in panels and comics and it, he gets to like these really beautiful human universals about emotion that aren't related to those kind of erot. It's like pleasure or pain. The the line to to that. So I've listened to a lot of music and get a lot of like panel layouts or comic scenes or just kind of stills to movies. And that's that's one that always conjures up is like human interaction and drama and how interesting that can can be. Um, as well as Necromancy, my one of my all-time favorite artists, Orchid Mantis. Mm, Orchid Mantis would be awesome to listen to. He is amazing. All of his songs are pretty informed about like forgetting and the slow passage of time and clearly a neuroses about it. And But also he doesn't have a huge presence of lyrics or vocals like sometimes, but it is largely atmospheric instrumental stuff. For sure. And a lot of the times his singing almost feels like it's meant to to sound like groaning or lamenting like it, yeah. it's there to add atmosphere and uh it often feels pretty haunted and ghostly and i'm constantly thinking of halloween night and being alone in the forest and i i did listen to a girl from the other side which is a manga um done by potentially a swedish swedish artist um that is super super good and atmospheric in all it's just like each panel and page will be just like the way a tree looks at night and that will be stretched into an entire scene. And, you know, there's all these other overarching stories, but you'll spend an entire page with just, like, moonlit forests. And that's Orchid Mantis to a T. It's just, like, these yeah. weird landscapes. Um, I would also throw Explosions in the Sky in there is one that I love to listen to. But that has a, a bit more of a melancholy 
a longing to it. So if you're reading like X-Men, it's probably not super good for that. But like if you're reading things that have a lot of room to be about personal inter- interaction, I think Explosions in the Sky is a really great instrumental band for that. Colette, where are you going? Uh, I kind of have a hard time going after you two with those deep thoughts on this. Uh, I don't usually listen to music when I'm reading. I, I get too distracted. And, um, but uh, but I, I will, when I'm reading something, I'll have kind of like a soundtrack pop into my head mm-hmm. as I'm going through a scene and like like a really good, fun action sequence. I know it's really good if like Welcome to the Jungle pops into my head <laughs> or some shit like that or like Riders on the Storm will usually pop into my head anytime there's good like a one. good, yeah. deep, kind of solitary moment in a book. such a like... I feel like whether he means to or not, there's a lot of like music in. Well, wasn't his he a books. music writer? Bef- didn't he do reviews for a music magazine or something? He's got if a big not, connection to music. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's um, a huge part of Deadly Class. Is sort of the music that's going on. He's always doing these conversations about music. And- yeah, and there's also speaking back to that realm book I was talking about earlier. Um, you might want to check out. They actually have a band that did a CD based on the comic, which That's I haven't rad. listened to yet, but I love that someone actually took the time to, to work. It's, uh, the band is Me Like Bees, and they make made the songs of the realm. That's so rad. if you want a, an actual soundtrack for a book that's one to look into kieran gillen will include like playlists that you can check out Mm -hmm. if you're reading a comic book or gunning for hits has been doing that like there's a playlist for each issue a lot of comics are doing that more and more and i think that's a really cool thing but i particularly have a really hard time if there's words present because music and comic are like my two biggest loves so if there's words coming from both i i I either listen to one or the other and that's not Mm -hmm. good I love the space between the two things because they very much inform, like, they're two loves of mine. And when I was trying I didn't to... get that from the Dave, Ma- I, Dave Matthews. That's not... <laughs> the space... Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Though, just comics and music have a lot of overlap because often, you know, comics are art and narrative and music is often narrative and sound. Um, like, I tried to write... I picked 10 songs and tried to write a 10-page comic for each song. Um for a long time and that was a really interesting experiment to see like how often your like senses overlap like oh i'm thinking about these visuals or this reading deadly class makes me think of uh you know 80s music uh, there's there's a band that the i cure was, is the cure the like cure uh, mm-hmm. morrissey what's morrissey the smiths, the smiths. Mm-hmm. i think about the smiths every time i flip yeah. through like west craig's art for some reason so there's pages about the smiths in it that yeah. page that i have they're talking about the smiths word mm-hmm. so th- i love that question i music and yeah comics. that yeah, was an a great question awesome question everybody please we love questions that was an awesome one nathan thanks so much uh for coming into the shop. You want me coming in for a couple months and you've been an awesome addition to the family. So thanks a ton um, for calling. Everyone else should call in. That phone number again is 1-619-663-7336. And it's just going to go to a confusing voicemail where you'll get to leave a voicemail. Um, also, I never mind being lumped in as a shop boy. Oh, yeah. Colette is more admirably a shop boy <laughs> than like anybody here. She's shop boy hardcore. Um and she rules No, hard. Thanks for being on the podcast this week, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me. I Absolutely. love being here. Yeah, Colette had to be like, I want to be on it soon. I was like, you just have to say a week that you're going to be on it. 
And See, that's fine because I don't plan ahead for you. I enjoy the dynamic of you guys so much that I'm like, oh, but if I go on, that takes a mic from someone else. Ah, uh, we. Uh, it's I, awesome to have three people on the podcast lately. Yeah, I think that's it's when we're getting the best stuff lately. Yeah. Um, all right, everybody. Well, I am Jeff, and I appreciated that voicemail because it got me to choke down this faithless, faith, faithless uh, feeling that I've been packing around all day. <laughs> I'm Colette, and uh, I just own that faceless, faceless. Yeah, she sure does. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh god, I'm a mother now. I can't keep saying these things. I'm Justin, and I'm actually a squirrel. Does that mean I can take you home with my pet? In a pocket. (gasps) I need you know. Pocket Justin. Pocket Justin is a product. Trademark. I live in a tree.